Lauren and I really do have the best seats when we're singing He Came Down That We Might Have Love. To see you all doing the sign language, it's wonderful. The gospel lesson today, we continue in the gospel according to Matthew. This is Matthew, the first chapter, verse 18, the story of the birth of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, and I'm afraid neither I nor Matthew can tell it as well as Corey Berg just did. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, hear the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when Joseph had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. As you have heard, the annual Nassau Presbyterian Church Christmas pageant is this afternoon at 4 p.m. One Sunday of the year when I get to preach from a barn. And if that Christmas pageant was based solely on the Gospel of Matthew, it would have few characters and it wouldn't last very long. The director of a Mathean Christmas pageant seeking to have folks strike a lovely pose with the Christ child, the newborn child, would not have much to work with. The story of the birth of Jesus in Matthew is rather unadorned. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place this way. Mary and Joseph were engaged. She discovered that she was pregnant. Joseph was trying to figure out the right thing to do. One night he had a dream. God told him not to be afraid. The child in Mary's womb is of the Holy Spirit. Marry her, she will have a baby boy. Name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This all is taking place, God said to Joseph in the dream, to fulfill what the prophet proclaimed. A virgin shall bear a son and they will name him Emmanuel. God is with us. Joseph woke up with a clear plan. They got married. Mary bore a son. Joseph named him Jesus. That's it. No Zechariah. No Elizabeth. No baby boy 
John the Baptist, no Annunciation, no Magnificat, no manger, no barn, no animals, no shepherds, no choir of angels. The only angel was in a dream, and I'm not even sure that counts as far as angel sightings go. No Mary, pondering and treasuring all these things told to her. No Magi, yet. No Herod, yet. Who would invite him to a birth story anyway? No light that the darkness will never conquer. No word made flesh. Christmas unadorned. They got married. She had a son. He named him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. They shall name him Emmanuel. God is with us. When the Christmas story comes unadorned, there is little to capture one's attention other than the child Jesus. The Christmas story unadorned is not quite a one-person play, but it does play out on the Bible stage with a barren set and not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of lines to memorize. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Emmanuel, God with us. To say that the birth of Jesus told in all of its pageantry in Luke is full of distractions, that's really unfair to the gospel. For all those other characters provide a unique lens by which the reader, the listener, encounters and thus interprets the child Jesus. Elizabeth's devotion and care. Mary's bold faithfulness, the shepherd's wonder, the adoration of the magi, the divine proclamation of the heavenly host. And when it comes to interpreting or understanding or preaching the birth of the Christ child, Matthew just has fewer conversation partners. For the reader, for the listener, for the preacher, the lens is narrow, not much is said. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God is with us. A few weeks ago, I came upon an article in the New York Times Magazine that I found a bit strange. It was a long-form essay about the writer's visit to, quote, the quietest place on earth. You might think it was some remote place in creation, but no. It was a story about an echoless chamber in an old recording studio in Minneapolis that people traveled to and paid big money just to go in and experience it for 15 minutes. A scientist named Stephen Orfield built an anechoic chamber. I checked in the dictionary and hit the audio, anechoic chamber that removes as much noise as possible. According to the writer, a reading room in a library is at about 40 decibels. Inside this chamber, it's closer to zero. The point of the article was that the only sound one hears is the sound of one's own body, like a heartbeat hopefully your own heartbeat, like breathing, even blood swishing. I stopped reading when the writer became rather self-absorbed in their own experience of 15 minutes in the room. 
But it was an early quote from the scientist that struck me as he described hearing the noises of one's own body. In the anechoic chamber, he said, you become the sound. In the chamber, you become the sound. When Christmas comes unadorned, you and I become the sound. When the gospel conversation partners about this child Jesus are nowhere to be found, the lens, the interpretive work is left to the followers of Jesus. The gospel reader, the gospel listener, those who attend to the story of the birth of Jesus in Matthew become the sound of Christmas. Yes, with words. Yes, with songs and praise. And even more. Even more important, more compelling is that you and I are called to be the sound of Christmas with the faithfulness of our lives. Providing a lens, providing an interpretive angle on Christ Jesus, offering a live nativity that tells of the birth of Jesus who saves his people from their sin. Emmanuel, God is with us. The Gospel of Matthew and the timeless call for you to tell of the Messiah with the pageantry of your own life. Years ago in seminary, I had a part in Thornton Wilder's play, The Long Christmas Dinner. It's a one-act play that is set at the Christmas dinner table of the Baird family. The play spans 90 years and multiple generations of that family's life in the early 20th century. Children who are born enter stage right. Family members exit stage left, some to move away, others to die. And throughout the play, members of the family age right there on the stage at the dinner table before the audience. Now, there are some, while there are some funny parts, the play is hardly a comedy. And while there are some very sad parts, the play is not a tragedy either. It tells of real life. And every member of the family had a part to play. A long Christmas with everyone having a part to play. That's sort of how I've come to view celebrating the birth of Jesus in the body of Christ. A long Christmas, where over the decades, disciples come and disciples go. Children are born and saints go on to join the great cloud of witnesses. God help us if it's more like a comedy, our witness to the birth of Jesus. We certainly know it's not a tragedy when on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we can proclaim that Christ is risen. But it is real life. And when it comes to the birth of Jesus, who saves his people from their sin, Emmanuel, God is with us, we all have a part to play. Each Sunday in Advent, I have turned to Howard Thurman for my own inspiration, some content to offer in the sermon, and one of his poems to conclude. Howard Thurman, who died in 1981, has been described as an American author, philosopher, theologian, mystic, educator, civil rights leader. He was on the faculty and dean of the chapel at the distinguished HBCU Howard University in Washington, D.C., later a faculty member and dean of the chapel at Boston University. 
1944, Thurman started an intentionally integrated congregation in San Francisco with a colleague who was a white pastor called the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples, 1944. It has been said that Dr. Martin Luther King carried Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, with him during the struggle for civil rights. I've been asking friends and colleagues of mine, most seem to think it might be a bit apocryphal. In his book, The Mood of Christmas, Thurman asks about the symbol of Christmas and then offers an answer. Thurman writes, it is the rainbow arched over the roof of the sky when the clouds are heavy with foreboding. It is the cry of life in the newborn when, forced from its mother's nest, it claims its right to live. It is the brooding presence of the eternal spirit making crooked paths straight, rough places plain, tired hearts refreshed, Dead hopes stir with newness of life. It is the promise of tomorrow at the close of every day, the movement of life in defiance of death, and the assurance that love is sturdier than hate, that right is more confident than wrong, and that good is more permanent than evil. That's Howard Thurman on Christmas unadorned. Christmas and real life when folks like you and me have a part to play, where godly devotion and care is found in the aid at the bedside of one of the saints soon to go to glory, where bold faithfulness comes in young people who dare to believe that God still calls people to a life of servanthood and giving back where hearts are set on making a difference in this world God has made. Where the wonder of shepherds arises in the broken soul who rediscovers the grace of God in life and affirms through tears that God's grace never really left in the first place. Where adoration and love of the Christ child inspires those who gift to him the tireless work for justice and who believe his righteousness is an ever-flowing stream where the divine proclamation of God's glory comes not from the host of angels, but from those who refuse to let death have the last word and cling to the assurance that love is sturdier than hate and rise each day knowing that right is more confident than wrong and go to bed each night reminded of the promise that God's goodness is more permanent than evil and God's light will never be conquered by darkness. Christmas unadorned, Christmas and real life, when folks like you and me have a part to play in the very nativity of the Christ child in the world today. Howard Thurman's poem, The Work of Christmas, the first poem to inspire me for this Advent the work of Christmas by Howard Thurman. When the song of the angel is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, 
to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. <laughs>